Good evening and thank you for joining us. I'm Ed Hand, your host for tonight's unpublished TV panel discussion. Our topic tonight, the U.S. election and its impact on Canada-U.S. relations. However you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your ballot on this topic at unpublished.vote and email your MP to tell them why. Now, our question this week, which presidential candidate will improve Canada-U.S. relations? 57.7% said Donald Trump, 40.4% said Joe Biden, and just under 2% were unsure. At unpublished.vote, you will find our podcast on this issue, as well as articles, opinion pieces, and research on the various views about the U.S. election and its impact on Canada-U.S. relations. So let's get started. Joining us this evening, Warren Kinsella is a lawyer and political commentator. Scotty Greenwood is the CEO of the Canadian American Business Council. Elliot Tepper is a professor at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. And Richard Jenkins is the Director of Public Sector Research at Abacus Data. And I thank you all for joining us this evening. And, you know, let's start off with you, Warren. You worked on the Biden campaign. And in 2016, you worked on Hillary's campaign. You said Americans were angry then. Are they still angry now? Well, what I did, uh, because I'm a foreign national, so I was only able to participate. And also, there was this pandemic thing. So mm -hmm. I did phone banking in New Hampshire and Florida and other states. And I would say that, yes, uh, the other side of the aisle was angry and um and motivated in that way. But our vote was uh, motivated in our way. We uh, found very early on that they were preoccupied with the coronavirus. They were concerned about it. They were concerned about vote suppression. And um, so when we were suggesting to them to participate in absentee balloting, uh, early voting, uh, mail-in ballots, and so on, they embraced that stuff with a vengeance. And I think we all saw that on election night and in the subsequent days that that was just a, a winning strategy of Jen O'Malley Dillon, who was the manager of the uh, Biden campaign. Now, Elliot, uh, 70 million plus still voted for Donald Trump, despite what we heard earlier about this being a, a blue wave happening. Is this an acceptance of his COVID response or is just th this the Republican Party circling the wagons? It's a reflection of American politics today. The razor thin balance between one side and the other keeping in mind that uh, Joe Biden appears to have won, although that hasn't been acknowledged by the president or by key other people. Uh, but in the states that he did win, taking back that blue wall, it was also uh, by very narrow margins in each of those. So America is very much uh, divided tonight. And we are in the situation where whichever candidate wins, about half the country is going to say that president is illegitimate, which is a very unfortunate situation both for America and for the nature of democracy, but also America's role in the world, uh, which uh, Joe Biden now is in position to affect. Uh, Scotty, how does the uncertainty of this election mirror that of 2000? Totally different situation. And uh, I would just respectfully disagree with the previous speaker who said half of half of my country will find the results Ill illegitimate. Oh. I, I think that people... Uh, 
mostly accept our form of democracy. Now, half of the people might be disappointed, uh, but I don't. I, some people will think it's illegitimate, but that's a much smaller uh, percentage because Americans understand uh, that you know in elections you have winners and losers. But Ed, to your question, how is it how is it similar or different from two thousand? It's completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the margins are close in some of the key states, but the outcome is clear. So in two thousand, it really came down to Florida. It was all about uh, counting ballots and hanging chads and all of that. And, and the the adjudication of the ballots was within the margin of error here. Uh, you, you know, as much as the Trump campaign would like to litigate the outcome, there won't be a material swing. There are enough votes, um, even with recounts, likely uh, that that Biden is the winner. So I think it's time. Uh, let the process work out, of course. But, it, it, you know, this is uh, this is different than 2000. And the other thing that uh, is different is you had uh, a record number of people voting, uh, as I think Warren might have said. You had 74 million uh, votes for Biden, 70 million for uh, for Trump. And so it's a, it's a huge amount of participation. And I personally think that bodes pretty well for a democracy. Now, it, back in 2000, at least even the, the leading up to the election, and of course, the 30-odd days afterwards, it, it didn't seem quite so nasty as the U.S. is in 2020 today. Would I be fair in saying that? Absolutely. I yeah. mean, the the decorum and you know the level of of civility, it, you, you know, has been absent for the last four years because the person at the bully pu- pulpit chose to create a, a chaotic and rude, uh, you know, system of civil discourse, political discourse in our country. That, thank goodness, has now been repudiated, and we will move back to regular order and decorum. And I think people are will welcome that. Richard, uh, when most polls. Uh we're taken in Canada. It seemed obviously most uh, most Canadians were in support of Joe Biden. Uh, in the states, though, he had an eight to ten point lead uh, going into election day. Any idea where that disappeared? Well, to some extent, it was disappearing in the days before the election. If you look at the two hundred plus polls that took place between September first and election day, as you got into those last few days. Trump saw his numbers going up. One of the unfortunate things, it it looked like much more like a poll failure early on than it really was. Um, by the if you looked at well done polls, mixed mode polls, and telephone polls, they were actually pretty good at getting the numbers right. Um, but it was a challenging thing, and I'm glad we do not have that here. Uh, our the rules about market research and polling here are so much easier for polling companies to be able to deal with. Uh, Warren, uh, obviously Donald Trump at this point is not going to leave, and, and Republicans for the most part are quiet. We have heard George W. Bush congratulate uh, Joe Biden, but what's the what what's the Trump impact on the grand old party right now? Well, I think uh, his impact obviously is considerable. You know, uh, as Scotty pointed out, um, as much as I deplore it, he got 70 million votes. Uh, He actually expanded the Republican base this time compared to 2016. And that's not something that if we didn't expect, we certainly didn't want. So he is a power to be reckoned with. But I think another factor, you know, the other party in the Republican firmament is Fox News. And Fox so far has been playing kind of a 
careful game in terms of the election result. I think if they do come down as they did with Arizona, as they did with Pennsylvania and they enraged the Trump people, if they come down and say, look, um, it's over and Biden is as much as we dislike it is the president elect of the United States of America. I think that's it for Mr. Trump. And then he goes off and starts his own TV network or something. But I think once tr tr uh, Fox decides, I think that would be the deciding factor for me. Really Fox. But you know, when I, I see some of those re Republicans and, and they're not stepping up to defend Donald Trump is, is that when you say less, is that more? in this sense, or is that driving home the point? Are you asking me? Yep. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, you know, I saw tonight in the Times, Mitch McConnell and, and others, I guess Senator Romney, Senator Collins, mm. a couple others have indicated, um, Murkowski have indicated support for the election result, but it, it doesn't matter. The United States is a country of laws. It is a country that has democratic institutions, notwithstanding Trump's efforts to shred them over the past four years. I do not believe he is going to launch weapons in the next 70 days. I do not believe that he is going to prevail. He is going to leave the White House, and uh, Joe Biden is going to be the President of the United States. Elliot, uh, Donald Trump and Justin Trudeau were, were far from cozy, and, well, Joe Biden's Buy American plans, we've heard about that. Do you expect that's going to strain the relationship uh, as much? We have a relationship which is totally different between Joe Biden and Pierre uh, and Justin Trudeau and Trump uh, preceding and then before that was Obama and Trudeau. So what we have now is a partner uh, the, in a way that we didn't have. I think one of the big key things that's changed is we have a president in the United States, apparently, who actually believes in multilateralism. And that changes everything and who wants to reassert the American presence in the world instead of creating a vacuum for China and Russia and others uh, to fill. That kind of partnership opens up possibilities in all kinds of ways that uh, just weren't there before. The summit of democracy is going to be high on the agenda immediately for Donald Trump. Uh, I think we have a role to play a champion. Uh, we, we can champion multilateralism. And with that, uh, we have a partner. And you asked me to comment on China. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, this is 700 days that the two Michaels are in jail. So a multi first at the top, if you have a partnership of multilateralism and a much stronger commitment globally to dem democracies working together in multilateralism, uh, then we have a much stronger case in dealing with any other all kinds of issues. I thought it was very striking that the very first foreign leader that Biden called and chatted with was or took a call from was our prime minister. And I think that's very telling. It's going to be a much closer and easier relationship and it's going to have implications in all kinds of ways. And I'll be glad to expand on those elsewhere uh, later. But uh, right now, the fact that we have a partner in all kinds of ways that are important for Canada is a major change as a result of this election. Scotty, the uncertainty over the winter and the time it could take to, to sort it out, where does that leave the business community right now? Because obviously they need something settled and they need to move forward, right? 
Well, I think the consensus by everyone, uh, except, you know, close relatives and people on the payroll of Donald Trump, is that there is no uncertainty. Uh, the election has been called. Uh, the Biden team is moving forward. And the business community certainly understands that. And the business community, like Canada, like foreign governments, will deal with whoever is elected by the American people. Uh, but, but the business community absolutely is um, preparing for actually divided government. So it's not just that Biden won and now we're going to see his whole ambitious agenda you know, uh, enacted into law. We've got essentially a Republican Senate. It may go Democratic. We'll see what happens in the runoffs in Georgia on January 5th. But so what you have is a recipe for what our system was designed for, uh, which is gridlock. And there's a certain stability in that. Uh, you know, we weren't designed for efficiency. We were designed so that you couldn't get things done. So the business community understands how to navigate that. And, you know, the markets um, obviously are, are doing just fine at the moment. And, and the business community, by the way, Way, uh, is rightly focused on things it needs to do. Look at the Pfizer announcement today uh, with the progress on its vaccine. Uh, look at what uh, companies are doing for testing of COVID. Uh, so, so I think, uh, you know, I don't read, I, I don't read uncertainty in this election. We know what the outcome is. It took us several days to get there, but we know now. And, uh, and Joe Biden will be sworn in on January 20th and, and, and the, co the country will march forward. Richard, in terms of Joe Biden, and obviously, 74 million people, that's record sounding. No other person has ever had that many votes. Uh, where did he make inroads into, into Trump's support? Or did he bring people back who did not come, did not come out of the ballot box on 2016? I think it's a combination of those things. Um, in, in some ways, he took back what, what the Democrats always thought they were going to be able to do, which was take back those swing states. And... And a part of the and and the other part of it was getting the vote out. This mail-in ballot thing was was a brilliant um, effect, even if it muddied the water uh, for a couple of days during right up when the election was being counted. Um, the unprecedented number of, and the balance between Democrat and Republican on those mail-in ballots was was amazing, and I think that really was the thing that that swung the tide was the ability to get those people to vote um, because they were potentially people who weren't going to vote, given they were concerned about the virus. Elliot, now, or, or Warren, when you were um, obviously working for the the Biden campaign and calling around, were, were people motivated by by you calling or, or people calling to, to remind them to vote? Or were they motivated because they could do it from home or do it online or, you know, drop it in the mail? They were exceptionally motivated. I mean, you know, voting, we all of us have voted and, you know, it's, you're used to it. You know, you go to a church hall or a community hall and you line up and you get your slip and you fill it out and so on. But for absentee balloting and, and advanced voting and so on, there's more complexity to it. Like, you know, we'd have to, we'd say to them, you know, you get your, your ballot from the town clerk and you put your X on it, then you put it in the little envelope and you have to sign the little envelope with your real signature. Don't print your name and put it in a big envelope. Take it back to the town clerk. Don't rely on the postal system after a certain point. Like we, there were layers of complexity there. And what was amazing to me as a Canadian is Americans weren't deterred by that. They understood what was at stake, as Scotty was saying. The immensity, the enormity of the choice this time was not lost in them. And they, they embraced that, that process, and it, it was wonderful to see. Ali, do you think this was the, the, the most 
important, crucial election in U.S. history? Yeah. <laughs> well, it certainly was uh, in the minds of 70 million voters on one side and mm. 74 million on the other. So the huge turnout suggests that this, uh, uh, that question turned out a lot of people to, to the polls more than any time in modern history, certainly. Uh, we've also remember had, you know, Vietnam and the assassinations and McCarthyism and uh, there was a civil war in 1960. So is this, it certainly is a crucial election in terms of our time, no question about it. And I think that shows in the passions on both sides. And I certainly uh, hope that the uh, election result is accepted by both sides in sufficient numbers that we can move beyond the kind of bitterness. But I'm afraid that America does present opportunities for uh, outside interference by the apparent divisions, by the nature of these campaigns on both sides. Outsiders that want to come in and destabilize America basically are, uh, are having a grand opportunity. Here are our divisions, come in and exploit them. Uh, we'll take some time to see what, what happened this time with the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians and the North Koreans. But having a divided America that is unable to heal, and that's why Joe Biden's um, central plank, I will be the healer, I will bring us together, and it's time for having a normal country. That needs to work uh, for America, but also for America uh, being the kind of country we've seen it in the past, being the leader of a, a post-war consensus on how the world works. Now, Scotty, obviously the U.S. fairly divided from the election results, and we saw that leading up to this. Are you optimistic this will lower the temperature in the U.S.? I am very optimistic about that prospect, Ed, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Donald Trump sought to exacerbate divisions that were already there. So he didn't he didn't necessarily create them, but he made them a lot worse. And uh, so there are some fault lines in our society. Um, however, it's possible to bring people together. And I, you look at um, the very skilled leaders we have at the helms of the three of the of the three relevant entities. So you've got Joe Biden, who absolutely knows how to compromise and work across the aisle. Uh, you've got Mitch McConnell in the United States Senate. You've got Nancy Pelosi. All three of these leaders uh, have seen a lot in their lifetime. Uh, they all have dealt with each other, um, you know, for decades. And you know, the, the timing is so important. The country, the, the stakes are so high between the pandemic, the economy, what's happening in the world. Uh, the, the, you know, they, they will take this seriously. And, uh, and, and you don't have anybody at the top that's seeking to exacerbate divisions. They're quite the opposite. So I, I really am hopeful. Um, the one, the one sort of caveat I would say about all this is uh, I think Americans will give Biden a chance, uh, but I don't think they really so much voted for Biden as they voted against Donald Trump. Uh, you know, and and I, I'm not taking anything away from the Biden campaign and the operation. They did a masterful job and they won uh, and they were quite disciplined uh, in their effort. But but I think when you when you talk to people, uh, they they really were either choosing to support the president strongly or to vote against the president strongly. And many of the Republicans that supported the president are actually now 
um, if I can say prayerful about it, they, you know, they, they love the country. They want what's best for the country. And I'm seeing a lot, uh, a lot of social media and a lot of the people that I know that are supportive of president Trump, uh, very prayerful about, about what's, what's coming. So, uh, I, I think if that's the attitude, you know, that we've got to, we've got to, you know, for people who are believers, literally pray about the future. And then you've got, uh, politicians wanting to work together. I, I feel good about that. I think, I think that's a good, I think that's a good path. And I believe in our system, right? I, mm-hmm. We've been through a lot in this country and uh, over, our, over our history, including, as Elliot mentioned, the Civil War. So I think we can get through this and I think we, I think we can come out the other side. I think we have to, but we've got to do it with our friends. We've got to do it with Canada arm in arm. We can't compete against each other. We can't treat each other like adversaries. We've got to help each other through this period, in my view. Uh, Richard, in, in terms of, of polling, and uh, 2016, the numbers were off. Uh, 2020, uh, the numbers were off in the U.S. Uh, I, I'm wondering, what are pollsters learning over the last two elections in the U.S. that they might apply to the next time around and be a little closer to the mark? Well, one of the biggest lessons, I think, is going to be around the aggregators, because um, they were they were part of the the challenge for people looking in on the polls because they they aggregated everything um, and they aggregated a lot of stuff that was just online polls, which were the were the most off in terms of accuracy in this election. And uh, this is the point Claire Duran made, uh, Prophet uh, University of Montreal, about the polls in this election, which is that if you put all this stuff together, if you if you some of it's garbage, then it's the, the end result isn't going to be better. And, and that was always the theory of aggregation that you you were going to somehow overcome the, the laws of each mode. Um, but given online polls, I think were eight times more prevalent than telephone or mixed mode. Um, if they were if they were off, which in this case they were the most off, um, that that skewed all those aggregations um, in a way that really hurts um, democracy in the sense that certainly we, we really believe that polls are helpful to democracy and it's not helpful if we're, we're providing information that's sort of sending the wrong signal. And, exactly. you know, if I could just jump sure. in on that for one second. Uh, sure. Uh, I think what's interesting is when you look at public polling versus internal campaign polling, there's a difference. And and part of it is because what's at stake, because for for the media outlets that are doing polling, they're they're driving news, right? They're creating content. They take a poll and uh, they're just trying to 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 drive a story. And so um, the you know, the stakes for them of getting it wrong aren't that high. You know, they live to see another day. The internal polls for the campaigns, for the, for the pollsters that are involved in a campaign, if you get it wrong, uh, that impacts the campaign and you don't get hired in the next cycle. And I have to say both of the campaigns uh, had uh, much better numbers than the polling numbers. You know, when we saw... Uh, when we saw Joe Biden's lead jump in Wisconsin to double digits uh, in the public polling, nobody on the Biden campaign said that that was anything close. And when you saw the president's lead in Pennsylvania uh, really surge, again, the Biden campaign said, we, you know, stay up. This is going to this is going to change. And uh, so so I think the stakes are different. And of course, we in the public have access to the public polls. Um, and, and that's there's a bit of a disconnect there. Okay. All right. Now we've got a question coming in uh, on our Facebook live uh, live page. And uh, Warren, given the announcement today of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, do you think the U.S. under Joe Biden will be able to get COVID under control this winter? And 
When do you think the U.S.-Canada border will reopen if they can? No, I don't. And uh, I'm, not an, I'm not an epidemiologist. You've had me on before, so I'll say mm-hmm. that. Again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, but, you know, my understanding, I, you know, as a member of the media, I'm very hesitant to boost Big Pharma's PR. And, uh, you know, the Pfizer thing, I thought today, I thought the Prime Minister was actually quite good on it. He cautioned people and pointed out that we need super freezers in order to Mm -hmm. accommodate this vaccine. And we we can barely accommodate getting the flu vaccine, which we currently possess, out to millions of Canadians and Americans. Uh, How we think that we're going to be able to manufacture and deploy these super freezers in order to assist Pfizer in its product is is beyond me. No, I think this is going to go on for some time. And the numbers out of the United States today are shocking. It was just horrible. And I really, we have to do all we can as a society to help each other out and get through this. Uh, uh, You want to jump in, Scotty? Well, yeah, I just I just wanted to to sort of recalibrate one thing. This isn't about quote assisting Pfizer with its product, okay? This is about how do we confront a public health challenge that we haven't seen in quite some time. So Pfizer is stepping up. Johnson and Johnson is stepping up. There are all sorts of, Warren, you, you don't want to shout out Big Pharma. I'm happy to. Uh, these are innovators that are really working hard to try to solve a societal problem. Uh, and, and governments and civil society and the business community are all going to, and academia, are all going to have to come together um, in common cause if we're going to get through this. I agree that it's going to be very challenging. And I agree we have to manage expectations. Um, um, but let's not attack the the folks that are actually, you know, trying trying to to find the vaccines. I'm not attacking them, but if their cause is humanity, they should do it for free, and the media should be doing it with a neutral voice. And that's not what took place today. Today, Pfizer's stock price was juiced by something that is not market ready, and that is irresponsible. Well, you know, if we could if we could have it for free, that would be great, you know. Um, but that's not the world we live in, so. Uh frame this in kind of the general conversation we've been having. One of the key elements of the Trump era was the deconstruction of trust. A colleague of mine and I are working on that. The key challenge right now is the uh, redevelopment of trust. The reconstruction of trust, I think, is the challenge of the Biden administration and others. And one of those key areas is going to be, can you really trust now whatever we hear? Because previous administration did so much uh, uh, injection of politics over the whole issue of whether this vaccine or that. I don't think bleach worked out very well. So the the deconstruction of trust was a hallmark of the previous administration. And the challenge facing us is the reconstruction of trust. And it'll start with the vaccine because America is facing, the world is facing uh, this crisis. And one of the things we should remember about the Trump administration and the 70 million votes and how close this last election was, is Americans were catching 100,000 and more cases a day of this vaccine. People were dying at 1,000 a day or more. It's out of control. And nevertheless, the president of the day barely carried the can for it. Apparently enough people switched, but 70 million people did not blame him sufficiently to change their vote and vote him out of office. One other point I want to bring up with you, Elliot, when we were talking about China earlier, do you think having the U.S., this comes from Facebook Live, go back to the way it was uh, pre, pre-Trump, pre will help COVID and Spaver, Spaver return to Canada? Yes. 
Do you see so that? This is a, thank you. I think that's an excellent question on our 700th day of their, um, their hostage taking, which is what it was. So we have a, um, I, I was, I was disappointed by the Globe and Mail today. Nathan, once again, had an excellent article eclipsing what I was going to suggest tonight, <laughs> saying, yes, this is a possibility now because China now is in a situation where there's going to be more of a pressure on them for various reasons, and perhaps this will work. I think we should back up a little bit and say there's another dimension of the Biden incoming foreign policy, and that deals with Iran. Remember. We are in this difficulty because we honored an American request to arrest her, but it was over an Iranian question. So if Joe Biden does want to get back into the Iran nuclear deal, then will he or will he not press for the release of Meng Wanzhou, which is related to that? The simplest way out of our situation is the U.S. will drop, will drop their extradition request. Meng Wanzhou will go home. And as part of that, I would hope the Biden administration uh, would say, remember, uh, we're doing this, but uh, we, we want these people released. Our friends, Canada, you know, it's, it's part of the package. And the, the answer to your question is we, aren't, uh, we don't know, but at least there's some hope that with the change of administration, there might be a change of circumstance one way or another that will work to the benefit of our people. But it clearly is not going to be soon. And uh, they meanwhile are in jail. Well, folks, that's been uh, a very interesting discussion. Uh, it's hard to believe that this election counting is uh, still going on, but uh, I think we pretty well have a decision made already. And I want to thank you all for joining us and thank uh, our listeners and viewers for uh, sending in your questions as well. We really appreciate that. Uh, our guest this evening, Warren Katsella, lawyer and political commentator. Scotty Greenwood is the CEO of the Canadian American Business Council. Elliot Tepper is professor at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University, and Richard Jenkins, the Director of Public Sector Research at Abacus Data. Now, coming up on our next unpublished TV, why would the Canadian military use propaganda to influence the opinions of Canadians? should be interesting. I want to thank you for watching Unpublished TV. Stay Thanks, safe. Ed. I'm Ed Hand. Thanks.